you can see it. Um, so, uh, questions about the Bible. You see that? Questions about the Bible. So, this is something that a lot of people have, and a lot of times we just go to Google, right? And you never know what you're going to get there. You'll get all kinds of stuff. What I need is the truth, right? I want to know the truth, and, uh, and, but, but a lot of times we have questions that are good questions. We're just afraid to ask them because you're just supposed to believe, right? Especially if you grew up in church and you've been around it, you know, and then you begin to have serious, valid questions and you begin to question things. Sometimes you're almost shamed in that. You know, when we come together as a body of Christ, this ought to be a place where people can find answers to very difficult questions. And you and I need to be ready to work through these with other people. We don't live in a Christian nation any longer. It's a post-Christian nation. And even in times past, things were not quite like we thought they were. And there's a whole lot of difficulty going on in the world today. Not only with the virus, and, and it's affected the world in a way that nothing has in our modern times all around the globe, but we have all of this turmoil and things going on in our country. And I don't know that it's just because things have boiled up. These things have always been there. And we're getting to see it exposed. We need to change. Our country needs to change. But you know what? Our hearts need to change. And the church needs to be the church. And we need to speak God's truth and we need to show God's love. And so what the world needs is the gospel. What the world needs is for the church to be the church. Those who are peacemakers and those uh, who speak out for those who don't have a voice. Those who help those who can't help themselves, right? And those who hold up truth when no one else wants to hold it forth, okay? So this is what we need to do. We need to know what the truth is. So what we got to do is realize that God's given us a foundation. And it's his word, the Bible. And I want uh, to turn to a passage in the Bible, 2 Timothy chapter 3. This is a very familiar passage. You've probably read it or heard it before. So I want you to find this. I'm going to put it up on the screen in a moment, but I want you to find it. And would you stand with me while we read this? Because what we believe is so important. If you really believe it, it will affect how you behave. And if like no other time in times of distress that we're going through and in the times of turmoil with terrible acts of injustice that happen and then all the craziness that's happening, people need a foundation to put their lives on. The problem is, is that perhaps the church hasn't really been the church like we should be. Maybe we're not being salt and light like we should be and making a difference for good. Only God can give us the ability to love and, and to do good when maybe people are persecuting us or people are speaking evil, that we can return good for that. We've got to have a foundation to build all this on. We've got to know what we believe and why. All right, are you ready? Let's read it together. You follow along with me. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, where he says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And is profitable for doctrine, that means teaching, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, 
that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work or good deed. I need to be equipped if I'm going to do some good. How about you? Because it doesn't come naturally. All right, you may be seated. Word of God is alive and powerful. Not only besides all the other stuff happening in the world this week, but if you're keeping up and reading, you, you keep hearing this. You keep hearing this stuff pop up every now and then. Uh, there was a very well-known um, uh, leader and singer, uh, lead singer that used to be with the band Hawk Nelson. Of course, you may have heard John Steingard this past week went public with his struggle and announced that he no longer believed in the Bible or God, but he remains open. Um, the sad thing is, is among even leaders who have been leading in whether it's worship or pastors, think you're seeing this kind of thing happen from time to time. And in, in typical of this situation, or like I said before, like many people who grow up in a Christian home, they grow up around it, they hear all the right stuff, but they never really nail it down in their own lives. And so it's no wonder at some point there are questions that come, and if you're not able to get the right answers, that your whole life can spin out of control. And don't get the idea, parents, just because you're a good Christian, and just because you just kind of take the kids to church and stuff, that it's going to take root. Because it may not. I mean, that's why we go to the trouble. That's why we have, uh, that's why we have small groups. That's why we have Sunday school. That's why it's so important for kids to be involved in that. That's why I like our D6 curriculum that has adults and children studying the same things. And it's designed not to just happen here, but to get it in the home and to coach you and to help you to have things that you can read every day and tips on how you can connect with your kids and share these truths with them. So it's not just a thing that happens here, it happens in the home. And you know, with this whole pandemic that's going on, God's been trying to challenge us that the church needs to get out of the building. It's a thing of the home. It's a thing of our daily lives. It should be permeating our life everywhere we go. And, but yet, for so many people, they're only thinking about it, and they're only worshiping, and they're only praying, and they're only opening their Bible when they're in the building. So we're coming to the building to gather together because we are a local body. Not all of us have all the spiritual gifts. And so as we come together, that we are able to do the work that God wants us to do here in this place. Not everybody's called and gifted to be a teacher or a preacher or all the different things. So we want to keep teaching and preaching. And part of the purpose of that, Paul tells us in Ephesians 4, is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So we need this coming together. But this is to equip us to go home and to go out there and to be salt and be light and love the world. And too often we don't have that. Um, so I want us to get back to some fundamental basics. You might say, oh, I know all this. You never waste time when you strengthen the foundation or check it. Okay? Fundamentals. It's just like baseball. I sure miss baseball, I'm telling you what. I love it. But if you don't know how to throw, and if you don't know how to catch, you're probably not going to be able to play very well, right? Because that's just kind of fundamental. If you don't know how to swing a bat, you're probably not going to do very good. It reminds me of the story that comes from football history. 
the great Vince Lombardi. Remember, Coach, the Green Bay Packers in those early days, in those early Super Bowls and all the wins, and just such a good coach and a tough coach. But one thing about him was that he was tough. One time, the story goes after a, a terrible game, and the guys, these are professional athletes, did terrible. He sets them down in the locker room, and he comes up, and he gets a football, and he holds it up, and so he's going to try to get them back on track, and he just starts with the very basic, guys, these are professional football players. He says, this is a football. Maybe we need to start there, right? Are you with me? Brothers and sisters, this is a Bible. What is it and how did we get it? That's what we're going to talk about in the next few moments. And Lord willing, next week, we're going to be able to know what it is and how we got it, but can we trust it? So we're going to just, you know, we're not going to go real deep into this, but we're going to scratch the surface, but hopefully you'll get some things that will help you. And over the next few weeks, that it will give us uh, strength to our foundation and help us to be a better witness. Because, you know, uh, if I'm going to know about God and if I'm going to know how to live my life, it would make sense that if God is real, he would give us some kind of guide, right? Well, he has, and it's the Bible. So everybody recognizes this is an issue, uh, but you'd be amazed how many times the question comes up about can it, what is the Bible and can I trust it? How did we get it and all of this? So I want to give you an official word. Can I do that? Because we have this little book that kind of compiles some of the important major teachings that we need to have. And it's called our treaties that our National Association of Free Will Baptists puts together. And here's the statement on scriptures. Are you ready for it? I'm going to read it to you. It says, these are the Old and New Testaments. They were written by holy men, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and are God's revealed word to man. They are a sufficient and infallible rule and guide to salvation and all Christian worship and service. Since the Bible is the word of God, it is without error in all matters upon which it speaks, whether history, geography, matters relating to science, or any other subject, end quote. That's very well put. Very well put. And we find out that there's people who want to believe just parts of the Bible, they think parts of it are, they'll take, parts of it they don't. Well, here's the problem with that. Who decides? You? Then if you're doing that, then you just decide what parts you don't like and throw out and what parts you want to keep. And you just basically make your own Bible. You make your own religion. And you're creating your own God, basically. So I want to know what is this and what does it mean? Are you ready? Let's jump into it. What is it? What is the Bible? Well, the word Bible comes from the Greek word biblos, which means book, right? So it's book. They from the name of a certain, make the, the papyrus that uh, was used to make the scrolls in those early times. But anyway, so everything that we have that are books, you could call Bible because it means book. But there was one book that was unique and different than all other collection of books. And it was called the Holy Book or the Holy Bible. And uh, they were always seen as a cohesive collection of books. Because what we have isn't just one book, it's a collection of books. Now, in our text that I read, he said all scripture. He calls the Bible scripture, Paul does. 
That word scripture is a Greek word, graphe. We get our modern English word graph from that same word. And it literally means that which is written down or charted. You have some type of idea, some type of of whatever, and you want to put it down where you can visualize it and see it, you graph it. Well, as Adam, as God communicated with Adam and Abel and then Enoch and uh, on down through Noah, God communicated how that they could come to him after sin came into the world and that they knew these things and it was handed down as many of these lives overlapped. And, uh, but there came a point that God said, and he said to Moses, it's time to graph my word. It's time to write it down. And you know the story. God started the process himself by etching those Ten Commandments in stone with his own finger. And the word was written down and God has preserved it so that we have it. So these are the sacred writings. Now the Bible is actually a library of 66 books written by 40 different authors over a span of 1,500 years. Now, a lot of us kind of raised similarly in the same part of the country. Many of you are related. Some of you here were raised by the same parents. I mean, there are people around here that, you know, there are a lot of people that have like the same Grandparents, uncles, aunts, on both sides of the family. I don't know, but anyway, but even as alike as a lot of people are, any of us writing on anything, we're going to have total contradiction and disagreement. But here you have over 40 different people from different walks of life. Some in the palace as a king, some as the most poor of all fishermen, and things like in a dun- some in a dungeon. Some of them were written in prison, and you have this over a span of one thousand five hundred years on three different continents, three different languages: the Old Testament, Hebrew, and a little bit of Aramaic. The New Testament in Greek, not classical Greek, but common or Koine Greek. You have all of this, yet they speak one message, one unfolding story. It's amazing, miraculous. often the books carry the name of the writer, the different books in the Bible, like Isaiah or Jeremiah or Matthew or uh, Luke. Sometimes the writer or the name of the book is a main event that happens, like Genesis or the Exodus, or it may be the name of those to whom it was written. Now, don't take it for granted everybody just knows this because there are a lot of people that have never opened the Bible. They don't even know what it is. I want to have a chance to minister to those people and to help be a light on their journey to know God and have a relationship with Him. Some of the books were titled by those to whom they were written, like Romans or Ephesians. It can indicate the type of writing, like Psalms or Proverbs, things like that. This book is divided into two parts. Are we being basic enough here? There is the Old Testament or covenant and the New Testament or covenant. Now the word testament literally means an agreement or a covenant. It is God's agreement or God's pact with mankind uh, that he made. The first one being before Christ came and then the last one after Christ came. Old and New Testament. The Old Testament teaches and documents how all of mankind became separated from God by what we call sin. 
and that God created us different than the animals. People say, well, there was God's first mistake. No, had God not made that a possibility, then we would have been no different than the animals operating on programmed instinct. God wanted to create something more like himself so that we had a will, so that we had a soul, so that we could make the choice to love, to receive love, and return love. That created that possibility of rejecting love, which we all have. And when that happened, it brought imperfection and sin into the world and the curse of sin and the imperfection and the disease and the turmoil that we see in the world wasn't God's design. That's what we brought by trying to be God ourselves. The whole plan of redemption was pre-programmed to deal with that. The Bible unfolds that whole story of God's desperate attempt to buy us back out of that and into a relationship with him. And then one of these days, he's going to judge this world and it's going to be recreated into perfection. The Bible talks about a new heavens and a new earth. It talks about that eternity that involves all that. It's an amazing story. But the Old Testament teaches, begins to teach how it came about, how we were separated from God. It also teaches about the perfection and holiness of God that made this perfect God unapproachable by sinful, imperfect, fallen humans. We always use that term when, when mankind sinned, we fell from our relationship with God. We call that being fallen. It shows how God provided a way, even in those early days, so that fallen human beings could be in a relationship with him as they looked forward to the coming of a deliverer. That deliverer was promised right there in the Garden of Eden after Adam and Eve sinned that one was going to come and crush the serpent's head. And so all of this is looking forward. God gave certain promises that if they would open themselves up to his purposes and align themselves with with him and what he had told them, That's faith, by the way. Trusting, submitting, and believing, right? Even in the Old Testament, that if they did that, they could be in a relationship with him. As Are you with me? Okay. As time went on, he used the Old Testament prophets to give a little more, and a little more, and a little more of his plan. All the Old Testament indicates that this would reach its pinnacle with the arrival of that deliverer, the Messiah. The Hebrew word is Messiah. The Greek word is Christ. That he was coming. Someone is coming. God himself was going to save mankind. So the Old Testament looks forward to the coming of the deliverer, the Christ, the Messiah. The New Testament is the new agreement on how to be in relationship with God after the coming of the deliverer, the Messiah. So here's what you need to know. The New Testament, the New Covenant, the New Agreement did not not replace the old. It fulfilled it. Are you with me? It didn't replace the old. It fulfilled the old. All of God's agreement with mankind through his people Israel. As God separated out Abraham. And then through him, this group of people. And through these people, he was going to communicate his word. And through this people, the Messiah, the Deliverer, was going to come. As God did that uh, through his people Israel, we find it's ultimately going to be fulfilled in that one that was to come through them. And they were to be a light to all the other nations. And so often they failed to do that just like we do. 
It was God's intention all along to bring forth a Savior for the whole world. The Old Testament describes how God set the stage for that. All the stories, you know, and then the law, and then the prophets, and all of that. And this law that God gave, that Paul tells us later on, the real purpose of the law was to show us how that we can never meet all of God's requirements, that we were sinners, and that we need help, we need a Savior. And that's why involved in that were the atonements, the sacrifices, the things like that. All of it was painting a picture, and like a big arrow pointing to someone who was coming. And this is what the Bible tells us and lays out there so beautifully. Some ask the question, why does it seem like there are two different gods in the Bible? Like in the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, God seems more like a God of wrath and judgment. And in the New Testament, more like a God of love and mercy and grace. Hey, that's a good question to ask. That's a question that tripped up some of these that I've mentioned. The truth is, the thing about it is if you were making up a religion, you wouldn't, you wouldn't make it up like this. God has designed it so that you don't know him unless you're willing to seek him. As you seek him, and here's what I find. Are you listening? Most people aren't really seeking God. They're just seeking what they want as answers to fit the way they want to live and the way they want to think. And they're not really interested in finding real truth. Because real truth doesn't fit with the way they're living their lives and decisions they're making. So a lot of times when you're trying to get people to see the truth, even as logical as it is, they don't want to see it because they don't want to change. They don't want to admit that they're a sinner, that not only have they done wrong, but they are wrong. That's, the, that's a lot of times the heart of the issue. But when you really look into this, you find there's no difference there are enormous pictures of God's grace, mercy, and love in the Old Testament. It's actually marked more by God's restraint than his wrath. And even though in those days judgment was front and center, that there were people and nations who rejected him and rejected his plan, and many times he pronounced judgment on them front and center, and then even his own people that he used to enact that judgment. When they wandered from him, he warned them. And sometimes he used some of those same people to come back and judge them. And there were consequences that played out in real time. Even though things operate differently today, understand this. He's God. He's the owner. He's the designer. He's the boss. And even though there's so much wicked in our world that seems to go unchecked, understand that's your point of view from God's point of view there is a judgment day coming there is a day that we're going to give an account before God it's still the same get this all the way through both in the Old Testament and the New Testament you see God is a God of mercy and judgment God is a God of grace definitely and accountability it's all one picture folks it's one unfolding drama of God's pursuit of those he created. He would stop at nothing to reach us. So that's what it is. So how did we get it? How did we get the Bible? Even though it's a collection of 66 books, you can still talk about it as a single book. Because it's one unfolding story. 
well, why these books? A lot of times the Bible is called the canon of Scripture. It's not a canon because it's like boom, like that kind of canon. Canon. You will hear that as you study into it. The word canon is an old word that comes from a word that means a cane. In, in the old days, before they had measuring sticks, they would have a cane that was cut to a certain length, and they used that to measure other things. That this is the standard, the measurement of what God has given us. So the writings of Scripture, which have been measured and approved, that's the canon of Scripture. That's the 66 books, Old and New Testaments, that we have. But why these books? And some might say, well, it wasn't until the end of the 2nd century that it was defined and described. Why is that? Well, it wasn't that they couldn't agree upon it. They did. But you have to remember, even though all the scriptures we have were already in place before the council that met in AD 397. Before this, it was hard for all the Christians to get together. Because, you know, it's not very... It it doesn't take very long after the church is birthed on the day of Pentecost before the Romans begin to persecute Christians very severely, right? So from that time up until 325, it was very difficult to get all of the teachers and all the pastors, the overseers, the bishops, to get all of them together into one and, and, and to hash out anything because if they all got together into one place, the Romans wanted to kill them. But with the supposed conversion of Constantine, he gave official protection and brought them together. Because there was already false teaching, there was disagreement. And now that they had protection, they came together. And not to hash out what are we going to have in the Bible and what are we not. But to say, what have we always accepted? What has always been a part of it? There were many heresies and false teachings already proliferating. Even before the New Testament was finished. So in A.D. 397, there was the Council of Carthage. They did not select the books of the Bible. If you spend all your time watching the History Channel and Discovery Channel, and by the way, I love watching stuff on there, but when it comes to this, they've got their slant. You're not going to get the truth, and you're not going to get a balanced view, I'm just going to tell you. They would try to make it look another way. The truth, though, is there. The truth is, they didn't select and vote on what was going to be in the Bible. They didn't say, okay, these 66 in and those out. But the question was, what has always been received? What had already? So they didn't merely confirm, uh, didn't select the books. They confirmed what had already been accepted and selected through the centuries. Because you're just a few centuries away from those who were actually discipled by the apostles themselves. So... This is the way that came about. Another reason we accept the Old Testament of Scripture is because, well, Jesus did, right? Jesus did. He accepted the Old Testament. He quoted from the Old Testament. He referred to it several times in his teaching as Scripture. For the New Testament, well, I also look to Jesus because he laid the foundation for the writings of the New Testament to be accepted as Scripture through a group of people that we call the apostles. He laid the foundation for it. Because all of the scripture of the New Testament came from those Jesus that spent time with Jesus, that he personally sent out, or those who directly worked, under, or worked directly underneath them. That's the New Testament. So everything taught in the New Testament church, as the decades rolled out, had to be traced back to these original ones Jesus sent out and to Jesus himself. Do you see that? Have you thought about this? 
The word apostle literally, literally means sent. So they were sent ones. Now there were those 12, then 11, and then they replaced Judas, 12, and then Paul was selected as one, as he said, born out of due time, that were personally sent out by the resurrected Christ. Okay? They were sent out by him. Now later on, there are those who are referred to as apostles of the church were sent out by the church. But we're talking about the ones that were sent out by Jesus himself. And let me tell you, they had special purpose and authority that nobody has today. Now, if you find somebody that claims that kind of authority, watch out. They may try to start writing scripture. And we're not to add to or take away from this book now. The last book of the Bible says so. Okay? So these that Jesus sent out, they had a unique mission that was not to be repeated. They assumed a prophetic role, and they spoke in Jesus' name, and they carried Jesus' authority. That's why Jesus said in Mark 9, 40, whoever receives you receives me. That's why he told them what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. They were going to be speaking on his behalf. In Acts 26, verse 17, Paul, looking back to the call that he had from Jesus, that he said, Jesus said, literally, I send you, or literally, I apostle you. The requirements was seen in Acts chapter 1, if you read there, that whenever they were selecting Matthias to replace Judas, the requirements to be that kind of sent one was they had to have been with Jesus from the beginning, from the early days of when John was baptizing, all the way through his ministry, and they had to have spent time with Jesus after he was resurrected and sent out by the resurrected Christ himself. Paul met this requirement through a post-resurrection interaction with Jesus, by the way. They were given special inspiration by Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Even though we all have the Holy Spirit who are saved, Jesus said that he would give them a special remembrance of his teaching. Let's look at that verse. As we look in John chapter 14, verse 26, he says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. I said to you, all those things that I said while those days were past, while we were walking and talking together, he's going to bring them to remembrance so that they could be written down. That's what Jesus promised them. The things that he had said to them, he will bring them to their remembrance. So his presence through the Holy Spirit is going to be in them. And he would be there to guide them in chapter. This is right before Jesus goes to the cross. And he tells them in verse 13 of chapter 16 of John says, however, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He'll tell you things to come. That is, Holy Spirit's never doing his own thing. It's the thing that God is doing. God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so he's speaking what he hears. He's going to speak my words to you. You're going to know them. And he used them to write them down. One of the questions they asked when selecting the books of the New Testament at that council is, was it based on the teaching of Jesus and the apostles? Or those who direct un, worked directly underneath them, like Mark worked underneath Peter and Luke with Paul. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it tells us that the early church says that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' what? Doctrine or teaching and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. It was the apostles' teaching. Everything taught in that church traces back to these that Jesus sent out and to Jesus himself. 
And he even gave them special authority and even special signs and things were performed so that they knew that this was the message that was connected to Jesus because there were false Christ and false teachers everywhere. And you need to know it's true today. And if you don't stay on your game and stay on the truth, you too can be deceived and misled. In fact, there's a proliferation of false teachers. And the Bible said that in the last days, this is what would happen. Are you staying with me here? This is important stuff. And what I found out is when we're really talking about important stuff, not necessarily just fun stuff, that people tend to just kind of zone out. Satan is hard at work because he doesn't want us to have these foundations. Because he wants to chip away at them every day. All right? People in those days knew they had the exact truth from Jesus. They knew that it wasn't about Peter's view or John's view or Paul's. They knew they were giving the truth of Christ as it came directly from Christ. So we didn't choose the books of the Bible. The church didn't sit down, as I said one day, and say, these 66 in, the others out. As I mentioned, it was a process of recognition um, rather than designation. We didn't create it. We received it. The early church received it. It might raise up another question in your mind about, what's this I hear about the lost books of the Bible? Right? You hear that kind of junk. Discovery Channel. You know, History Channel. Stuff like that. What's these lost books of the Bible? Well, they were lost to uh, modern history, but they weren't lost or unknown to the apostles. They knew about them. And the early church fathers, they knew about them, and they rejected them. Like if you watch the Da Vinci Code, it mentions these things. There have been books that, in more recent years that have been found, such as that the Gospel of Thomas and the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, to name a couple. And what you need to know is that most all of these were documents that circulated later on. From the books of the New Testament. That many of them didn't even come along till mid-2nd century or later. And they were very far removed from the actual life of Christ and the apostles and the formation of the church. They were teaching by false teachers. They were not alternative eyewitness reports that competed with the ones that end up in the Bible. They were century later attempts to challenge and undermine the teaching of Jesus and the apostles. So they were not lost books of the Bible. They were false teachings that were rejected all along. Even though we didn't find some of them until a dig in Egypt in the 1940s, the early church knew about them. And I'm glad we have some of the writings of some of the early church fathers that have survived that mention some of these. That they were rejected. And they're to be rejected today. They were rejected because they went against everything the early church stood for. If you look at them, everything they knew to be true about the teachings of Jesus, they went against them. For example, the Gospel of Mary denies the resurrection. It rejects that the suffering and the death of Jesus had any spiritual value. It even says there's no such really thing. It implies there's no such thing as sin. And, well, you know what? That sounds good to people today, doesn't it? I think I'll just believe that one. But people in those days knew that's not what Jesus and the apostles taught, so they rejected it. Now they want to dig it up today and say, hey, 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 it still doesn't match. So what I'm saying is you need to know your stuff or you can be tricked and misled. Now let me wrap it up with this. What does the Bible say about itself? What does the Bible claim about itself? Well, it claims to be revelation. Revelation means really to pull back the curtain so you can see what's on stage. God revealed his word. Listen, if God had not revealed it, we couldn't have attained it. Mankind could have never gotten to it. God had to reveal it to us. We could have never figured it out. And it's also inspired. Now, the word in the text that I read said all 
Scripture is inspired, is the Greek word theonoustos, which literally means, it's a compound word, means God-breathed. It is God-breathed. Uh, he's not using the word inspired like we use it. We say whenever we, our spirits are lifted that we're inspired. The Bible means more than that. It means that you have on page, this page the very breath of God as God spoke it. God used people to write his book down. But God was so involved in the process like he promised to be, like Jesus said the Spirit would guide them, so that when the word hit the page, it was exactly what God wanted. We're going to come back to this later. But in 2 Peter 1.20, he says, Knowing this, no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. No, it doesn't mean one thing to you and another thing to me. Now, different Scriptures can apply in a lot of different ways in our life, but it doesn't mean different things. That's what he's saying there. He said, For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. As the Holy Spirit moved them, that's a nautical term, like a boat is carried by the wind. The Holy Spirit carried them along, just like Jesus said he would. And that's how we got it. All right? Now, here's the question I've got to ask you. You know what it is and how we got it. We're going to go deeper into can we trust it. But you've got to nail this down because if this is right, there's no other decision as important as this. What you decide about this will, detire, will determine your whole spiritual journey of life and your eternal destination. Okay? Billy Graham was a great man. There was a time in Billy Graham's life that he talks about how that he began to question the faith and question the, the, the validity of the Bible. There was another young evangelist that came up alongside Billy Graham named Charles Templeton. In fact, in those early days, everybody said Templeton was the more fiery, the more gifted, was a better preacher, and, and he led a lot of people to Christ, but he came to a point that he began to question and he chose to go a different direction. And he ended up in a liberal university. And later on in his life, he ended up rejecting the faith, rejecting the Bible, rejecting God. He went on to have a decent journalistic career. But if you've seen Lee Strobel's case for faith, Lee Strobel actually went to him when he was in his 80s and interviewed him before he died. He was already having the beginnings of dementia, but he began to lay out why he rejected the Bible and why he rejected the faith. Lee Strobel asked him about Jesus and said he began to tear up. And that he said everything that's good and right and moral, I learned from Jesus. That's still true. And he said, I miss him. And he began to get out of control and he stopped the interview. We don't know if Templeton ever made things right with God or not. But Billy Graham had gone to a retreat center and he hashed it out and he looked at the historical, the archaeological, the scientific, all of the evidences and he hashed it out and he came to that point that he knew and believed this is the word of God and he said that's made all of the difference in the world. And when I preached the Bible as the word of God, miraculous things happened. Here's what I'm saying. Two men, one book, one choice makes an eternity of difference, folks. So what I'm saying, what you believe about this, will not only determine your life, but it will determine your forever. That's why we need to get this right. And you're not going to believe stuff just because I say it or anybody else, but because God's Word says it, and you have confidence in the Word of God. Do you believe? Let's pray. Father, help us.